Hey guys, just before we begin this podcast, I would like to tell you about our sponsors, McCann Fitzgerald, who we are incredibly lucky to have as a sponsor, as they are one of the top law firms in the country. One of the things we've noticed about them, after speaking with so many different law firms, is that while clearly being a top-tier firm, they also have a clear human touch to what they do and are very forward-thinking. Partners are very involved with graduates and trainees, which seems to have cultivated this incredible culture for people to stay for a long time because they enjoy it and feel part of the community. So if you're looking for a career in law, definitely check out their career site, as it seems to be a really great place to work. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Grad Life podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Farley. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Sarah is a pro bono associate at Charles Russell Speechley's, a UK law firm headquartered in London with offices around the world. Before starting with Charles Russell Speechley's in January of this year, Sarah worked as a senior legal manager at Trust Law, the global pro bono legal service of the Thomson Reuters Foundation. She completed her training contract and qualified with McCann Fitzgerald in Dublin. So Sarah, I understand you graduated from UCD with a degree in law. Um, How would you describe your college experience? And do you have any idea of what you wanted to do at that stage? Yeah, thanks so much. And thank you for having me today. It's great to to be part of this. So yeah, big question. Um, I guess I decided to to do law and and I guess I, I loved my experience at UCD. I did I ended up turning my three-year degree into a four-year one, so I did an international year of exchange there, Um, and I had a brilliant experience actually there. I I ended up, I think, loving studying law much more than I expected, (laughs) if that sounds strange, but um, I really enjoyed the variety of legal subject matters you could study, um, the different topics, and also the the people you met out there. I, I was lucky enough to have a really great gang in my year and in my degree, and I think I was very lucky as well in the summer of my first year, I ended up volunteering as part of an initiative which I saw advertised on a poster one day on UCD campus um, looking for volunteers to go out to Zambia as part of a Habitat for Humanity programme. And I ended up doing that with, it turned out there was five of us from our law class who none of us knew each other, but we all signed up separately and did that volunteering experience during the summer. So I think that informed my experience at UCD quite a bit because it ended up being um, the basis of when I started volunteering a lot and I also um, got to know some of my best friends who were in my law degree as well and I guess it also gave me the the experience and confidence to go off um, I guess traveling a bit more which influenced my decision to go and do that international year away as well so yeah I had a really great time at UCD studying law whether or not I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I finished um, I think I knew I wanted to do something in law. I wasn't exactly sure if I wanted to practice as a qualified lawyer, if that makes sense. But I knew, I guess, through the volunteering experience, as well as doing the International Year Away, I'd studied a lot of human rights law. And, and that's kind of where it triggered my passion, actually, during um, during my time at UCD. So I think I knew I wanted to do something in human rights law. What exactly that meant, I wasn't really sure. Yeah, that was kind of my next question. So the volunteering kind of formed the basis for your interest in in human rights and legal aid and things like that. Exactly, exactly. And I think that kind of probably came about earlier, actually, when I was in school. I went to um, Santa Sabina, a, a good, solid Dominican college school in Sutton in Dublin, and um, they did a lot of um, giving back to community. They did a lot of volunteering, even from when you're a young teenager from kind of 15, 16, I used to do volunteering through school with Bernardo's and other event, other local charities. And I think I always had that kind of sense of, I was lucky enough to be privileged to, to be born into the, 
family I was in and get the chance to go to school and go to university and I always kind of had this feeling of wanting to give back to community and, and give back to society so whenever I had the chance to do volunteering um, I, I really enjoyed it I, I think you gain so much from it uh, while at the same time giving back and I think that kind of studying public interest law and, and getting involved a bit in the practical side of it throughout college and then doing some internships after that I think that's where I really kind of found my my passion. And then am I right in saying that you completed a master's program in Sydney on human rights? Exactly exactly so I chose to do human rights kind of more as an arts degree so it was uh, human rights and, and politics rather than human rights law specifically because I thought that was a nice angle for it like it wasn't just studying the, the letter of the law around it it was really just looking at all angles whether it's international development and economics or politics or the legal side of it as well um, and the program actually that I found in Sydney offered quite a unique combination you were able to do um, you could apply to do as part of your summer over there uh, an internship at one of the kind of um, registered organizations that the, the university had partnerships with. So I was lucky enough to do a summer internship with the UN Refugee Agency in Canberra, which was fascinating. And it meant that I got to develop my thesis in partnership with that organization. And I was able to kind of get a lot of practical experience actually working in their regional office um, for that summer and taking you know what you learn in the law and in the um in the classroom around international refugee rights when i actually see it in practice it, it really brought it to life as well so um so yeah it was a brilliant experience to study out there and it was quite um interesting to study at an international level out there as well because a lot of the the students in that class were very um from all different backgrounds all different countries came from lots of different um life experiences i think i was definitely one of the more uh, younger and, and definitely one of the ones with least work experience but um but yeah I still think I got a lot of it, out of it and I think it definitely opened up doors which um helped kind of my next stages of, of my career and then at that point did you know what the next stage in your career was going to be or had you any idea of what you wanted to do then not at all I really um I think that the probably theme of today is is I definitely didn't really know what was next and I definitely always kind of took the road less taken it's it's a bit scary when you're kind of um coming out of a law degree and you might be getting pressure from parents to go into the law firm and get a job where you know um but it is I think it's important to make sure you follow what you're passionate about and as long as you can you know keep up part-time work to make a bit of money on the side like I did lots of um internships after my master's and immediately after my master's program actually it just so happened that it was by chance my um the legal uh, protection manager at the UN Refugee Agency happened to have worked years before with the head of the Irish Human Rights Commission at the time, Des Hogan, and it, it turned out that um, she dropped an email introducing me to him and it just got ha so happened that the Human Rights Commission at the time were looking for interns to join. It was around 2008-2009 when they were quite decimated with funding cuts and so they were really really grateful to get in some interns so just by chance I got to get in and meet with Des and then I did a, a year's internship with the Human Rights Commission um, but yeah I think following on from that I ended up getting connections through um, through the Human Rights Commission to do kind of my next set of couple of internships and it all really just linked one to the next and I think that was one thing I always 
tried to keep faith in that's that something would come up and and through the contacts you make and and you know just by working hard at each stage of different internships you're doing wherever it is and trying to keep positive and and hope that the next one will come through and yeah that's kind of what worked out for me in the end yeah I think that's really good advice um and then you decided to qualify as a solicitor in Ireland at that point and exactly how did it like what influenced that decision and why did you accept the training contract with McCann yeah, I think um, from doing a few different internships, so as I said, I did the Irish Human Rights Commission, um, as it was called at the time. I worked at the Free Legal Advice Centres for a year and a half as an intern. Um, I did a stint at the Department of Foreign Affairs as an intern in their political division. Um, and at each stage of those experiences, which were all brilliant in their own way, um, I think I saw that I got to, I guess, shadow some of the, the head lawyers in the different departments in those places. And a lot of the people I worked with were qualified, whether or not they were working in that role as a qualified solicitor or barrister, they had all gone through the motions of qualifying. And um, I think I really got a sense that in order to give back the most I could, and in order to, I guess, get to the stages or jobs I wanted to get to, without having that extra add-on to your law degree, it, it it often just, it was a bit of a cap. Like I found some friends that had just studied law, you know, some went into politics, some went into foreign affairs, but I found that if you wanted to do a senior legal role, whether it was in nonprofit, semi-state, um, UN, all the people that were in the roles I wanted had all qualified. <laughs> so I think for me, um, it kind of, after a good few years, I, I think I got to the point where I was like, I think that's the best next stage. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I applied and was really lucky to get in and do the traineeship with McCann Fitzgerald, which was fantastic. Um, I, I really loved my time there. I made the best friends and I'm still really good mates with with a lot of the gang there and and I had excellent training I I um you know I really enjoyed even though the you know the exact nature of what I was working on from corporate commercial law to you know corporate finance work it may not have been what my you know my absolute passion was I think the skills that I picked up during that training were excellent and they still you know stand to me and they're definitely part of the reason I, I got to the job I'm in now. Bring you back to that point um so you qualified yeah. for the real estate department but you continued to show an interest in legal aid and you actually ran the firm's or you were very involved in the firm's legal advice clinic so can you just tell us about that or like what that work entailed? Yeah that's right exactly so McCann's at the time um have been doing a long-running legal advice clinic in O'Connell Street in partnership with the local legal advice centres there and um, they've been kind of fielding volunteer lawyers to go to that every Wednesday and it was always um, a kind of a, a really important part of what I wanted to keep up with and um, it was run in partnership with FLAC where I'd done that internship a couple of years before and I think when I was at FLAC I really saw the value of these legal advice centers where people were able to drop in and just get a bit of a steer on social welfare queries, family law queries, just often people that are extremely vulnerable and actually just really can't afford um, uh, to talk to a lawyer professionally, uh, privately. And it just meant that on a Wednesday night, you were able to give them um, a bit of a steer on, on whatever the legal issue was. So when I was at McCann's, I started volunteering um, as a trainee to, to kind of shadow the lawyers that were doing that. And then slowly, I kind of took over the the um, just the management of the volunteers that used to go down every Wednesday. It wasn't, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a hugely complicated piece of work, but I think it was definitely something I loved doing. And um, it, I, I also worked in partnership with FLAC at the time to try and get in 
some of their, um, Nolene Blackwell at the time, who was head of FLAC, she came in and ran the training for the volunteers, trying to, I guess, ensure that people felt comfortable going down to the centre and doing that volunteering. Um, I, I really loved it and I did it kind of on top of, of the day job of, of being a real estate lawyer, which um, I was happy to do. You know, it was really what I, I love to do. And I think slowly but surely, I, I think I started to realise that the, the pro bono side of things and the human rights side of things was really where I wanted to be in full time, not just kind of in my spare time or, or late at night when I'd finished my fee paying work. <laughs> and so then at that point, um, the trust law job came up and you decided to leave McCann uh, to take that. So was that like just the next natural step for you or um, how did that come about? Yeah, it was it was definitely a big decision, I think. Um, uh, yeah, giving up uh, uh, an excellent job at McCann's was was a, a tough choice, but I think it was definitely the right one. And um, it it came about. I it was all kind of again full circle. I was very lucky. One night I was working on some closing. I think I was still on at ten pm at night, and I happened to be checking my emails, um, and I got the PILA newsletter, the Public Interest Law Alliance, run an excellent newsletter, um, which years before when I'd interned at FLAC, which PILA is a part of. Um, I used to write the newsletter so I actually used to be that intern that drafted it and so when the newsletter came in I always look at it because it's it, it um, publicizes some really excellent public interest law stuff and in it there was a job advertisement for trust law for this legal officer role and I'd never heard of trust law didn't know anything about the Thomson Reuters Foundation but what it sounded like was quite a similar role to Pub, um, PILA, so what the public interest law alliance did around public interest law and um, pro bono clearing housework but it was in London. And um, I just thought it sounded super interesting. I threw in an application, honestly, not really thinking it would go anywhere because I guess that's the other thing to, to say. I definitely had no's in the past. Like I've applied to lots of different roles and anyone, if they're listening, that has applied to the UN, it's the most myriad complicated thing to apply for a job there. And it's so stressful. And actually I applied for plenty of jobs that um, over the years that I, I never got. So I think that's one thing to remember. Don't be discouraged, keep trying. Um, but yeah, for this role, put it in, didn't think anything more. And then I did kind of four rounds of interviews, all virtual because it was back 2016 and I didn't want to fly over and back to London to do job interviews. So I just did them all online and yeah, I got the offer of a job and I was very um, sad to leave McCann's. I, I really, as I said, love the people and I love the experience, but it just felt like the natural next step. Um, London had a very quite exciting um, pro bono scene at the time and um, trust law just sounded like a really excellent jump um, and also the fact that it was part of the Thomson Reuters Foundation um, meant that it sat within kind of a wider really interesting human rights NGO as well so yeah it was one I guess I couldn't turn down. Yeah and then in practical terms what steps did you have to take to be able to practice as a solicitor in the UK? Gosh that's testing my memory it was it wasn't that complicated from what I remember funnily enough I think I had a friend who'd gone over maybe six months before and you had to fill in kind of a application to apply to get on the role in the UK, you had to submit your certificate or your um, solicitor admittance from uh, Ireland, but it was pretty straightforward. And I think I thought it would be more complicated than it was, but I think I asked around friends that had done it. I got some template and um, documents that they had sent it off and then that was it. So it was, I think at the time, I'm not sure if things have changed at all. Again, that was back 2016. We were kind of automatically, um, 
qualified over there. So it was pretty straightforward. Um, actually, it wasn't too complicated. Okay, cool. Um, and then can you just tell us a bit about what the trust law job entailed, like on a day-to-day basis, what kind of work you did? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really, um, it was excellently diverse. Every day was really different. And um, so when I first joined, I joined as a legal officer. So I was a bit more junior and I was there for five years. So I kind of grew up the ranks there. But um, it initially started by working with nonprofits, charities and social enterprises on a daily basis, having calls with them to discuss their legal needs. So actually um, finding out from them where they might need legal assistance. Um, you know, if they were a social enterprise in Kenya, you know, talking to them about had they registered, you know, their trademark in their invention for a particular, like, really fascinating um, product that they'd made, or whether it was a charity in France that was, you know, trying to convert to uh, a trust or something like that. So it meant that every day you got exposure to really fantastic um, nonprofit organizations all around the world. We actually took calls with all global organizations and we tried to assess what their legal needs were. And then it was our job as the legal team there to kind of convert that into legalese. So we used to then summarize that into a short project overview, which got included in a weekly email, which went out to our legal network of over like a thousand legal members all over the world, including um, Ireland, including um, charities, nonprofits in Ireland and social enterprises, and also to law firm members in Ireland. So that was both um, in-house lawyers as well as law firms. And then they could identify from that weekly email what organization needed assistance and what exactly kind of legal area was involved, how long it might take, and then they could submit an offer to work on that particular project. So it was our role to kind of coordinate all those those pieces and connect the dots and make sure that that advice happened and and went smoothly. Um, And then I guess as a wider level, as part of my role at Trust Law, as I went through the years there, I started becoming more involved in some of the foundations anti-slavery work. I worked quite closely with their um, CEO, Monique Villa, who's who's since retired, but she was really passionate about um, anti-slavery uh, and trafficking. And she had created some really fantastic initiatives there from the Stop Slavery Awards. There was a Banks Alliance Against Human Trafficking. So it was a lot of kind of um, I don't want to say coordination work, but it was quite, it was really interesting, like being parts of um, linking heads of anti-money laundering and anti-trafficking at banks with nonprofits who are working on the ground with survivors of human trafficking and facilitating forums where they could come together and, you know, put forward proposals as to to what ways, you know, they could address the, the issues that were coming up. So it was a very different role and it was um it was a really different experience going back to a nonprofit from a, a corporate law firm for sure. Um, but again, all those skills that I picked up of drafting and communications and project management and all of that um, has stood to me through the years. And, and yeah, at Trust Law, I kind of went from legal officer to legal manager to senior legal manager. And at each level, I guess I was just managing a wider region, you know, more people and, and I guess just getting involved in different stages of legal issues throughout the job. Cool. It's really interesting. And then I suppose onto like where you're at today. So why did you leave that position then for the pro bono associate job? Yeah, I think, again, it was kind of the natural next step in a way. Um, The pro bono associate role is kind of always this um, perfect hybrid of of being able to work in in the space of human rights with charities, you know, social enterprises in that nonprofit world. But 
um, from within the, the environment of a law firm. And actually, it's it's kind of a role that at the time didn't exist in Ireland. Now it does. And um, both Aina Goodbody and Arthur Cox have full time pro bono associates. But back then it was completely unheard of the idea of having a full time and um, dedicated associate to pro bono. So I think I'd always wanted ultimately to come back to do that kind of role. But I didn't really know what it was about because, again, in Ireland, there wasn't really anyone to to see that role in. Um, so yeah, in the UK, <clears throat> as I worked at Trust Law, I started to work a lot with pro bono associates, pro bono partners in different UK law firms and in firms all over the world. I mean, in the US, there's huge pro bono practices there and it's been going for a long time. But particularly in the UK, I started getting to know a lot of the lawyers that were working in those kind of roles in law firms. And it just sounded, it was almost that next level. So as well as getting to work with the social enterprise or charity or NGO discussing what their legal issues were, you then got to be part of giving them that legal advice. So you get to kind of source that advice internally, whether it's with your IP team or your data protection team or your you know, corporate commercial team. And then you get to see the delivering of that advice directly to the nonprofit. And um, so I think it was just, it was really hands-on. It was kind of, I guess you could be a lot more involved with the actual delivery of the pro bono work. And as well, um, there's a few different types of pro bono roles. Some are coordinators, some are um, practicing associates. And so I really wanted an associate one because it means that as part of my role now, I get to actually be part of the delivering of advice as well, which is exciting. It's nice to kind of back to that as well. Um, and then how would you like compare the work done by the likes of FLAC or the Irish Refugee Council to the pro bono projects that are taken on by like an ultimately commercial firm? What are the advantages, I suppose, of doing pro bono work from within a commercial firm? Basically, at Charles Russell Species, where I am now, there's kind of two main buckets of pro bono clients. So there's mm. individuals, so vulnerable individuals, and we've kind of a different a number of ways in which we assist those directly. And then there's nonprofits. So there's organizations, basically, so mm. charities, nonprofits. And the way in which we work is that there's a, a cohort of uh, partner charities that we work with through the Charles Russell Speechless Foundation and for those organizations they're a mix of kind of organizations working on homelessness on domestic violence on a few different issues and um, we deliver kind of a full service advice for them and our lawyers whether it's again from intellectual property data protection <clears throat> real estate they help those charities with kind of the full remit of all types of legal issues that they might need assistance with and I think for the lawyers internally here they get to, I guess, um, get to know that client. So the charity partner is onboarded with our foundation for kind of three to five years. They get to see the impact that that organization is having. They get to see that even if they're just helping them with, you know, uh, helping them rev review their lease or negotiate with their landlord or something like that, they get to see practically the difference that that's having for quite a small organization to be able to deliver their, their services. And I think for for lawyers here and, and from what I've seen over the years in different firms, lawyers really enjoy it. Like oftentimes the more the more you chat to people, sometimes they do hark back to why they got involved in law in the first place. And it's about helping people, helping their communities, helping giving back. And I feel like sometimes along the way, people lose that element and whether it's they're just too busy with their private practice. But I do find when you get when they get given the opportunity 
within kind of a structured way to be able to help charities, to be able to help nonprofits. And it's important to have that structure around them rather than them having to do it at midnight after finishing a big transaction, having it built in as part of the practice area of the, the firm. That's what's really important. Um, so, yeah, I think the lawyers get a lot out of it and, and they're able to kind of see the impact of their work. Um, but, yeah, the other side of, of the pro bono work that they do is helping individuals. And that's through the likes of the legal advice clinics, through the likes of here at the at Charles Russell Speechleys, we run initiatives and partnership with frontline uh, legal organizations where we help um, for example we're just kicking off a new initiative right now to help victims of the Windrush scandal here in the UK apply for compensation from the UK government we're also helping field volunteers to assist um, a refugee organization out in Greece which is helping asylum seekers with their asylum applications so there's ways in which you can get involved both from your desk but also actually get involved much more practically as well yeah perfect um, and then you've mentioned a couple of times that like the pro bono scene in London is more developed than Ireland. And then also that um, ANL and Arthur Cox have actually recently appointed pro bono associates. So do you see like a future there for Irish law firms, other Irish law firms to kind of develop their pro bono departments? Yeah, for sure. I absolutely do. I think the last four or five years have been amazingly exciting to witness from over here. Like it's when I left um, as I said, there was no, there was slowly starting to be pro bono work happening and, and lots of firms are, are doing huge amounts of CSR work or partner, you know, charity partnership work. But at the time, the idea of having a full time pro bono person was unheard of. And the difference that having that dedicated pro bono person makes is enormous, like all of the statistics and kind of uh, research shows that. But yeah, I think in the last number of years really a lot down to the work of PILA the Public Interest Law Alliance they've been doing a huge amount of work um, for the last 10 years since I since I interned there they've been working and um, really trying to build up um, the awareness around pro bono you know uh, law firm involvement in pro bono and it's really thanks to them like they've driven driven it hugely and um, and yeah it's exciting now like the likes of McCann's I know they have really interesting pro bono projects happening and um, I think they were doing one around women's aid and domestic violence and um, so there's lots more opportunities I think now and I think a lot of it is also driven or can be driven by the likes of you guys. So graduates that are actually going in to, to interviews with law firms where you can you can ask, what's your pro bono practice? You know, what, what are you doing to give back to communities? What are you doing beyond, you know, non-legal volunteering? Like, are you are you partnering with organizations to provide them with pro bono advice? Are you do you have initiatives um, where you're helping vulnerable individuals? Like, I think it's just it's not enough anymore to just say we help our local school at lunchtime to read stories to the children. That's brilliant. But I think it's becoming much more advanced now. And another really interesting development, I think, as well, is the growth of in-house clients and, and clients of the firm actually asking when they put out documents, tender documents, like a big part of it can be what are your environmental sustainability approaches? What are your what are you doing around human rights in your community? Um, and there's interesting partnerships happening between firms and, and clients around pro bono. And that's something that I think if firms don't kind of step up a bit on that, and, um, you know, I think it's important. Um, and also, I think the one really interesting thing that I know Pila is really emphasizing as well is it doesn't have to just be the big law firms, like so many um, projects that you can get involved with. It can be from much smaller firms, you know, with much more limited resources, but if you just build in kind of small projects into your, your work, um, 
it can really make a big difference and it can also really help with staff retention like I think one thing people forget is you know to have that bit of diversity in your day-to-day -day work oftentimes the pro bono work that people get involved with is sometimes the most enjoyable projects they do so um so yeah it's it's I think it's a bit of an all-round win <laughs> if they can get it set up in the right way yeah definitely um and then from your own perspective what advice would you give to graduates who are interested in pursuing a legal career in like the human rights sphere coming out of college and that's what they're interested in they're not too sure how to like reconcile the law with the human rights yeah it's it's definitely a question i asked over the years like how to get involved it's um i think a few things like one there isn't just one route like it isn't just the Amalcleanu human rights barrister in the court like that's that's one element but I feel like sometimes people think oh I'll, I'll never get into that like how would I even start but there's so many other ways to get involved and to give back whether it's working as a lawyer within a nonprofit, in an NGO whether it's going into a law firm and actually pushing to to help them move along on their pro bono work and being part of championing that or you know it, there's just so many different avenues and I think one thing I would say, um, I think over the last few years since I've been lucky enough to get into the roles I've gotten into, I've had coffees, whether it's virtual or, or in, in person, with, with corporate commercial lawyers often who are a bit miserable and who, you know, say, I really want to work in human rights. And it's kind of like, what does that mean? Like, as in, what are you, what are you doing currently? And, and I think that's something that I always try to, um, I guess, walk the walk, not just talk the talk and actually start start volunteering, like start finding something you're passionate about and start not just saying I'm interested in human rights, like actually going down to your local community advice centre or going down to a local homeless charity and finding out what you can do to help. And I know a lot of times people are like, oh, I don't have the time. You can make the time, like if you're really interested. And I, I get that some people might not have huge amounts of funding behind them, but like I would have worked part time the whole time I did any internships, I would have tried to keep up the jobs in the evening to get money to be able to do studying or internships that I did so like just trying to find an area you're passionate in. And then trying to just dedicate a bit of time like I used to volunteer on a Monday night for six or seven years with St Vincent de Paul in Dublin and I learned so much from going to do home visits in the flats in Stevens Green which. I'm ashamed to say I'm from Dublin and I never knew they were there until I started volunteering with the, the Vincent de Paul group on a Monday evening and just going in and actually seeing the, the practical situations that people are living in, the, uh, you know, the, the levels of poverty that are existing five feet away from the Shelburne Hotel. Like it's just it really brings it all to life and it makes you, I think, a more interesting person if you're going for interviews. I think it means you have something to talk about more than just saying I'm interested in human rights. Like I think, yeah, just really just get out there get involved give back and try your best to just keep and um, keep trying and i think definitely don't be knocked back if if you're finding you're not getting the big roles because it they'll come it just takes takes a while <laughs> perfect and then finally and i'm sorry to put you on the spot here but if you could recommend any book fiction or non-fiction that's changed your perspective or given you something to think about what would you go with Hmm, that's a good question. I think there's like a million books I could pick from, but if I'm allowed to say a podcast, actually, oh, I, I think yeah. um, any resources. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I was going to say one thing I've started doing in the last number of years. I mean, it's nothing groundbreaking whatsoever, but I listened to the BBC with the world tonight, um, which basically is 
a series that airs every night at 10 p.m. And I listen to it religiously in the mornings when I'm getting ready for work or going for a walk or whatever. And it's just a very helpful perspective on global international news. Like I just I think it's really important to, I guess, not just be zoned in on your local news or your your local country's news. Like it's just helpful to see different perspectives on what's going on around the world. And, and I think no matter what, if you're a bit informed around international issues, whether it's legal or politics or whatever, just keeping up to date with that kind of thing, I find it's really, it really stands to me. Um, and it's just a helpful way to do it in the mornings without having to, um, to yeah, read a newspaper every single day, which I would love to do, but it can take a bit of time. So yeah, I think the BBC World Tonight gives you a good overview of, of international affairs every, every morning, which is what I listen to. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been really interesting. We really appreciate you coming on and best of luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.